This is crime scene investigator Chris G leading you under the police tape and into a crime scene. Join me as we discuss the ever-changing world of forensic science. Put on your PPE, ready your fingerprint brushes and experience the drama of a crime scene. The black smoke rises into the sky like a flock of startled birds. The fire clicks and clacks as it tears down parts of the building. The heat bellows out from broken windows as the glass cracks and falls to the ground. Startled neighbours leave their homes and approach the roaring fire with caution. The road, which would normally be quiet, is now filled with worried people. A call is put into the emergency services. Fire! The neighbour frantically requests. The call taker takes down some details and dispatches the fire brigade. With a reasonable amount of determination, the stubborn fire is brought under control by the fire service. The home's charred skeleton now glistens as the hose water reflects the sunlight. Thankfully, no one was found inside. However, there is an element of suspicion. Was this fire a tragic accident? or the deliberate act of an individual. Hello everyone and thank you for joining me. I'm pleased to announce that this week's guest is fire scientist Ian Peck. I've worked with Ian on many fires throughout my 12 year career and his knowledge about fires and arson is second to none. The saying not afraid to get his hands dirty would normally apply to edgy cops on the television. However, the saying applies to Ian in a different way. He will often painstakingly sift through collapsed ceilings, plasterboard and burnt items in hope to find the tiniest clue and leave the scene covered in soot. Every day is a school day with Ian, so much so that sometimes we pay him to train us. <laughs> Stay tuned and I hope you enjoy listening to my chat with him. So I'd like to welcome Ian Peck from Prometheus Forensic Services. Uh, how about, Ian, we start by you telling people what it is you do and how long you've been doing it for. Hi, Chris. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, my name's Ian Peck. Um, I have been a fire investigator for the last 21 years, I think it is now. Um, so I started off um, in DNA. Um, in the forensic science service, as was. Yeah. Um, that was back in 1998. I joined the forensic science service um, and stayed there for about 18 months. And then oh, I must say I, I was getting a little bit tired of Eppendorf tubes and transferring <laughs> kind of bits of bits of fluid into from one <laughs> Eppendorf to another and etc. etc. Um, and I really wanted to do, like you see on TV, the whole kind of going to the scene and following the whole case all the way through to, to court. Yeah. Um, I can't say it was by design um, that I ended up in fire investigation. Um, it was more the people I was, I knew actually. Um, one of them who was in the fire investigation unit 
mentioned that they were um, they were interviewing and looking looking to to expand the numbers, and he thought I might like it, um, and I was lucky enough I, I, I got an interview, um, and to my surprise, got invited to join the team. So um, that was January two thousand. I uh, I. I joined the Fire Investigation Union um, and have been just amazed at fires and how that they can be so devastating and um, but also on the other side of things how you can still find evidence and determine the cause and origin of the fire and hopefully link suspect to scene so it's something that I think has given me a really varied and rewarding career thus far yeah so that's it's, kind of how i got into it um yeah and it's interesting because uh i always thought someone like yourself would have like had that as your end goal when starting off in your career but you kind of fell into it almost it was it was that way i uh, i'd always had an interest in forensics um it was something that oh, we did a we did an aptitude test or or something when I was I don't know maybe in the the second year of secondary school yeah and and one of one of my options came back as a forensic scientist and I didn't know anything about it at the time so I kind of found a little bit more about it um, the whole forensics being on television hadn't started at that stage because I'm I'm way too old to be honest with you Chris. <laughs> um, but there was there was a start of a program I think with John Hanna. He was a pathologist or something. Um, but he rode through London on a on a motorbike and solved crime and was generally just amazing. And I thought to myself, yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind doing that. That that sounds really cool. Um, Minus the motorbike. <laughs> well. I wouldn't have minded a motorbike. <laughs> motorbikes to me didn't really uh, didn't really hit it off too well. No. So um, I, I got a van, a van around London uh, yeah. was was as far and heroic as it, as it kind of went. Um, but yeah, I just I, I don't know. I, I I kept an interest in it, and then after my after my degree, um, again I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, but having this interest in forensics, I I decided to rather than go out into the real world and, and work for a living, I thought I'd do a master's in forensics um, to give me a bit more of a kind of a broad basis. And hmm. I just really wanted to be a forensic scientist. Um, I, I really got that that kind of love and passion for it through that course more than anything. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, coming out of university, it was a case of I need to pay back some loans. <laughs> so rather than and I, oh, I don't know. I went for loads of jobs in, in different kind of science areas and things, and then ended up on a on a building site and was uh, was a hod carrier for a year. And, it's, and I must say, it was a great year. I absolutely <laughs> had a, a wonderful time. Um, amusingly, some of the guys called me Quincy because they. I don't know how I found out about my forensics degree and stuff like that. So that was that was quite good. And I I entered. Uh, well, I went for a, I went for a job interview at a company called Labstaff, and they were it was temping at the time. 
and that's how I sort of kind of made my way into the FSS. So I was a I was a temp in the in the DNA units. Um, we were doing a lot of uh, processing and analysing a lot of the um, the buckle scrapes that you that you that you have, the ones that you you use that scrape the the skin cells off the inside of your mouth, and then you, you process them and put them onto the database. So that's that's how I got into the forensic science service. And as I say, I kind of had my eighteen months there and um, was fortunate enough to to make some friends with ultimately someone who kind of directed me in, into fires. And as you say, it wasn't by design. It does seem, looking back, a bit more luck than judgment. Yeah, but that's going to be interesting, I think, for our listeners to know that you can go from a building site to then a DNA lab um, and to be like regarded as probably one of the best fire scientists we got in this country. <laughs> one, one, one of the best or, or one of the few um, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess um, there, there aren't very many of us certainly on the criminal on the criminal side of things there's, there's quite there's, there's an enormous number of, of um, insurance fire investigators yeah. uh, but only very few as I understand um, forensic scientists do, who specialise in, in criminal fire investigation yeah I think that leads us quite nicely to my next question. So, you're a fire scientist and not a fire investigator. Can you explain the difference to the listeners? Yeah, it's it's a difficult one, really. Um, fire investigators and fire scientists, um, sometimes they can be confused. Um, I call myself a fire investigator. Some other people call me a, a, a fire scientist. I, I think that a fire investigator in what the in what CSIs would call a fire investigator would probably be someone from the fire service Um, and then a fire scientist would be as I say someone like myself um, from that forensics um, background Mm. Um, we talk about a fire scientist someone in the criminal justice system going that that level of proof being beyond reasonable doubt um and that's kind of the level that we we have to take our cases to if we can um and provide that that sort of evidence in in court whereas a fire investigator um would give a a most likely cause of the fire um a fire investigator from the fire service they don't have to um, provide that that evidence in court. In actual fact, they, the fire service don't have to investigate deliberate fires. Mm. They investigate, or they, their only remit that they have to investigate is, is for um, home office statistics to give a, a most likely cause. Yeah. In actual fact, a lot of um, fire and rescue services, they go above and beyond what they what they what they have to do mm. to assist the police uh, which I think is absolutely you know fantastic that, um, that they're putting themselves in that beyond reasonable doubt um, sphere mm. um, this is very much talking about the scene going aspect of fire investigation um, where the real difference lies is within the the lab side of things yeah. and 
producing that link between the suspect and the scene. And that's really the, the clear difference between a fire scientist and a fire investigator because we would then be looking at ignitable liquid analysis, looking um, at those items retrieved from, from the scene, analysing and examining those. So we would therefore be looking at electrical appliances to see if they've, been, if they've caused a fire, if they've malfunctioned or if they've been misused. Uh, we would also give um, an indication about if there, if flammable liquid or an ignitable liquid has been used, whether or not, you know, what type of it, is it petrol, is it diesel, and the properties of those and, and how they would burn. And then also we would, we would look for things like heat damage um, examination on, on clothing from the suspects as well. So you've really got two parts to the fire scientist's job. It's, it's making that link between the suspects and the scene but also it's gathering that evidence from the scene as, as well. I mean, and I think overall we're both here to, to in, certainly in criminal fire investigation, to assist the police with their, with their investigation. Yeah, and I think, yeah, you, uh, you touched on, um, so I, I could say take a sample from the scene of something that I think is accelerant. Um, we could uh, take the suspect's clothes, they might smell a petrol or something like that, or even if they don't, we can uh, package them all up, send both to you, and you can determine whether or not the accelerant on the suspect's clothes is a kind of similar accelerant to that taken from the scene. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then we could also, depending on what ignitable liquid has been used, um, you may be able to, to put that, that person or that clothing at, there at the point of, of the ignition mm. of the ignitable liquid as well. Yeah. Which, if you have all three, so if you have, say, petrol at the scene, petrol in the clothing, and then this heat damage or flash burning damage, as we like to call it, on the clothing as well, that's almost like the holy trinity. Yeah. Uh, you're, you know, that's going to take some very good evidence, counter evidence to uh, to not get a conviction for that for, for that person that started that fire. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah the. That is just invaluable, I think, to an investigation to get a result like that, really. Um, yeah. So, if we go on to our next question. So, uh, why did you choose to specialise in fire scenes and not another area of forensics? I think we've kind of answered that question, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By accident. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because, because one of my mates said, oh, I think you might want to crack at it, I think, is, is probably the answer to that one. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was easily answered. Um, <laughs> I, I thought there was going to be like, oh, I had an interest in it as a kid. I, you know, set fire to something by accident and then just. <laughs> I, I mean, there, I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of setting fire to stuff, wasn't that? <laughs> I, I don't know whether or not I should really kind of carry on on that way, considering the job I do now. But um... I'm sure you could argue uh, against it. <laughs> You'd be the perfect person to say. <laughs> To defend yourself. <laughs> I, I, I lived in the countryside in Essex, so um, I'm sure I got away with a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's been a fire. The fire brigade attend and feel it might be suspicious. You were contacted by the police to attend. What initial information will you try to gather? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, 
I think, first of all, that the most important thing before you even step foot um, into into the scene is to really make sure that, that that scene is safe. So you need to take some some information, some advice from the fire service, first of all, or at least you get somebody to ask the fire service whether or not they've, they've carried out a risk assessment. They would always have done one. Um, that probably a dynamic risk assessment more than anything else yeah. um, and and then you move on from there really um, certainly down in in Sussex they always ask for, for whether or not there's any asbestos present yeah. uh, which is obviously vitally important to, uh, to, to know that um, once you've got the safety side of things bottomed out as, as much as possible it, it could be that you have some concerns, maybe there needs to be some remedial work carried out, maybe some contractors need to come in and make things safe. Yeah. So, you know, you're always you're always kind of thinking about how things are gonna move from from, from from one thing to another. So, and then obviously to, to kind of give advice for those things. Um, we would then take a look at what time of, what was the time of call? What was the time of arrival of the fire service? Making sure that that again, going slightly back to the to the safety, make sure that the gas and electricity is off, um, and then ask ask that question. You know, what's the what's the cause for the concern? Mm. Um, what actions did the, the fire and rescue service take? Did they have to force entry? Um, did they, you know, what did they see when they first went into went into the fire scene? Did they see one area of burning, um, or did they see maybe two or three areas of burning? Did they have any trouble putting out the fire? Um, was there anything particularly complicated about about the scene from their side of things? So we, we're trying to kind of capture as much information from the people who initially attended the scene, um, not not for any other reason than than, it, than that information. You know, needs to be captured, um, and 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 is and is going to assist. And then, if they you've got potential suspects, then and and maybe it's it's thought that an ignitable liquid is being used. Then asking the question: um, Has their clothing been taken? Has it been appropriately packaged? Can you check it's been appropriately packaged? Because if you don't if you don't package it in nylon and polythene then there's potential for evidence to be lost and obviously that's something that we want to to avoid mm. uh, ignitable liquids by their very nature you know ev evaporate the longer you leave them outside the packaging the the less chance you've got to recover any and that's one of the things that gives you an indication that you've got a deliberate fire um, and then you know you, you're talking about restricting the access um, an entry of other people and, and preserving that preserving that scene and, until you get there um, you would probably ask the scenes of crime officer um, to do their general shots and their photographs um, and some of their work um, prior to your attendance it, it depends if if you were to call me out Chris we we live about what, ten minutes away from one another, so yeah. you probably wouldn't get you probably wouldn't get a, a shot off. However, you know, colleagues in Surrey, maybe you're you're waiting for an hour or two for me to 
yeah. for me to attend. So there's there's time there to fill, isn't there? Yeah, but yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, the first thing that you will be gathering is how safe the scene is to uh, enter. Uh, you do something called a dynamic risk assessment, which is a ongoing risk assessment. So, like normally with scenes, you'd assess the risk and then you jot it all down. And be like, "Yep, yeah, these are all the the problems with the scene that we've got to be careful of," and then you just go ahead. But of course, with a fire scene, it could be always changing. Um, yeah, and they're all and they're th- they're three hundred and sixty degree scenes as well. So yeah, you've really got to. Well, I would say when you're walking around and doing your assessment of the scene, um, you really want to take a high vantage point. Um, yeah. Look down on the scene. Let's see if there's anything at height that needs removing, so that things aren't kind of falling on your, falling on you. Um, yes, you'd wear a hard hat. However, I'd say if an RSJ falls on your head, then that's going <laughs> to hurt. Whether or not you're wearing a yeah hard a hat, hat or, or not. not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and yeah, and and obviously the electricity. You don't want to be touching bare wires, bare electrical right. wires if they're on, because you'd have hideous hair, which is not a good thing. Obviously. I think that would be the least of your worries. <laughs> Especially with lockdown uh, hair. Yeah, quite. Uh, it should be very terrible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the most important the most important thing is, is to try and get an idea of the scene, um, but also to check about safety, to check about... Yeah. It's just a nice to know, and it's it's nice from the safety aspects if you can get things moving, and then you're not mm. delayed at the scene. Yeah. And I think that's it to try and have the most efficient um, use of, of everybody's time, not just yourself, but you know those resources that you don't want people just standing around, no. uh, not doing anything, and having to wait. Um, yeah. Or, you know, a building surveyor or someone like that, when that could all be done in in the in the time it's taking, you know, me and you to get to the scene. Yeah, because I think the last uh, fire scene that I was called to, I think they were trying to be a little bit too efficient, and I looked at the time that the fire was reported, and then I looked at the time that it was that I was getting this call, and then my next question to them was, "Is it still on fire?" <laughs> <laughs> and they came back and said. Oh yeah, I think the fire crews are still there. I was like, okay, give me a call when the fire's out because yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's going to be high up on the dynamic risk assessment. Still on fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a burning issue. Yeah, quite. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear, I don't know. Right, next question. Uh, I'm sure, like me, uh, your plan of action can often change depending on the scene. Um, but what were you? What will your plan tend to be uh, once you enter a fire scene? So, have you got like a set plan on things to do uh, as soon as you enter? I, I used to have a kind of a, a set thing, but as I say, I've, I've probably forgotten now what, <laughs> what that is or what I'm supposed to do. I'm sure that my business partner and, and colleagues and stuff um, would would tell me I, I'm doing things wrong, but. Um, I think most in, most important when you when you first get to the scene, you meet and greet um, everybody. That's important. Mm-hmm. Um, you get your you get your briefing and you get you know some some idea about what the forensic strategy is going to be depending on kind of what scene you've got. Um, you would go for a walk around the outside first of all. Um, you would look for any. You know, points of entry, anything of interest, anything of any forensic potential that, that could be there. 
um, that needs to be dealt with first of all because on the outside things are more vulnerable so you want to secure those that that sort of evidence first of all um, so it's not been weakened or destroyed um, any more so I guess yeah if, yeah exactly right um, you if if you enter then um, you would again you, you check you check that safety aspect on the inside because you need it's not just from the outside that you would be looking at the safety aspects um, and you would check to see whether or not the electricity is off um, physically by looking at the consumer unit if that consumer unit is too badly damaged at all by the fire then you would obviously hopefully would have already arranged that to be the electricity to be isolated from the road mm. um, so there is no danger for you kind of going in um, and and for executing yourself. Um, and then you would you would really have a look around in, in every single room. Mm. Um, I think that's I think that's that's important. I think um, you can get drawn into just concentrating on the area of, of worst damage where you think the fire has started, um, and and not look at the the entirety of the property, mm. uh, because there could be some important information in those other rooms. For example, um, if you had, say, a fire starting in the lounge, um, that is going to be where you're going to be spending most most of your amount of time. It, mm. it could be that the the lounge is completely destroyed, um, not providing you with with too much evidence. Mm. Um, however, if you went into another room. That was entirely separate and you found some low-level burning in there then it might be that you're formulating an idea actually i've got a separate area of burning here mm. you can't have a simultaneously occurring accident as it were so is yeah. this is this more deliberate similarly if you look around the, around the property and there's signs of a disturbance um you know we've been to scenes you know, at me and you, where we've looked around and we've, we've seen drawers being pulled out, it looks like a search has, has taken place. Yeah. And, you know, and again, the simultaneously occurring accident um, phrase tends to get used in, in those instances as well. Yeah. So it is important to get that, to get any idea or as much of an idea of, of if there are any other crimes and also whether or not. You know, there's there's any sign of any bad electrical use, for example, whether or not um, the occupants use candles or were smokers and these other these other things, incense um, sticks and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, what was what was the property like? Can you can you get an idea about what the habits were of, of the of the people in 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 the property and um, and the you know depending on what you find needs to be taken you know you need to take these things into consideration when you're determining the cause and origin of the fire yeah and yeah i think like you said before it's like a 360 scene um you've got yeah various things that you're looking out for and um not only are you looking at the fires but you're also looking at say uh the context of the scene and whether or not you say there's there's been a search there's been forced entry um, anything like that, you might be able to gain more information from, say, witnesses or CCTV, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, and I guess yeah, you want to uh, have that in your plan, I guess, a little bit. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, as I say, that's that's your that's your initial kind of walkthrough, mm. and then once once that's been once that's been completed, then it's making that that first record of the scene. So, mm. you know, it's it's a time for you to to take your photographs, or time for me to take my photographs, and and walk around the scene, and really kind of formulate in my mind, you know, what I'm going to do. So it allows me a bit of thinking time. Mm. Um, so that I can then, or that a forensic strategy can then be formulated with, you know, the CSI and and the fire service and, and whoever's whoever's there at the scene because you know it, it's important that we're all singing from the same hymn sheet mm. uh, and you know it's it's far easier when the investigation is. And the people investigating the scenes are in, are all moving in the same direction. So you would you would have that that forensic strategy um, and identify what you're what you're what you're going to do. Agree on the the room or area of origin, um, and and move on from there to, mm. to to carrying out, which ultimately is the is the biggest part of your. Of the time that you're at the scene is your your observations, and in your excavation and reconstruction of mm. the scene. Um, I might slightly go off script here, but this is also a go good opportunity to um, educate people on how to stay safe from fires. So just now you uh, said about a bad electrical setup that people might have. So what could that look like? Um, so something like, for example, if um, and and you, it's it's quite commonly seen if you're daisy chaining extension leads and things. Yeah. So, so you've got you're, extension lead into extension lead into extension lead. Yeah. Indeed. And then you're plugging multiple appliances into into those, mm. um, and that's you get a, a huge risk from from overloading the the circuits, yeah. um, which which can cause a fire. Um, and you know you want to you want to avoid that as much as possible. You, you can also people replace fuses with with bits of bits of wire that are, that are too big because they're they're MCB or, or their their circuit um, keeps tripping, so they try and do some kind of DIY mm. um, in cartridge fuses and things like that. So um, you kind of generally get a feel. Um, Looking around, if, if there's too many appliances plugged into mm. um, extension leads and extension leads, so that would that would give you an indication in in the, those number of rooms. Um, the other side of things is obviously um, candles being left unattended. Not that you can mm. really get too much of a, a of an idea, um, and then you know people's smoking habits and, and things like that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, there's the fire service give um, a whole host of, of advice around candles and smoking and and what to do in an event in in the event of a fire as well. Mm. Okay, so uh, next question. So, what are the signs that a fire could have been deliberately set? Ah, uh, yes. Um, so. When we were talking about um, you can't have a simultaneously occurring accident, yeah. um, so again, if 
you're at a scene and, and there's a fire and there's evidence that there was a burglary or, or something else, then that would be an indication that the fire side of things is is, is most likely to be accidental. Uh, sorry, deliberate. Yeah. Um, also, multiple areas of burning again would, would fit under that heading as well because um, if these if you've got more than one area of burning and they are um, entirely separate from one another, so there's nothing that spread the fire either at high yeah. or low level um, between those areas, then again, you can't have a simultaneously occurring accident. So no. that would indicate that you've got a deliberate fire. Um, sometimes maybe the odour of an, of an ignitable liquid that could that could give you um, an idea. Yeah. Um, obviously, then you'd you'd need to check whether or not any flammable liquid or ignitable liquid um, was in the area um, for legitimate purposes. So, for example, if you went to a mechanics, like a car garage, yeah, a car garage, and then you smell petrol, well, you know, you would expect it. Wouldn't you? Yeah, so, you'd smell uh, it every day. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you wouldn't take anything from that. Um, however, if you were to have it, if someone had it in their in their home, then that might be a little bit more unusual. However, not out of the grounds of, of possibility. So, we always need to to check that. Um, fourth century again you know that that would that would give a, an indication that you've you know someone's broken in so yeah. therefore they've broken in and and then they've had a, an accidental fire well it's kind of unlikely yeah. uh, or unfortunate even um, <laughs> short time intervals as well um, between maybe someone leaving and then the fire and then the fire being present so we talk about um, there, there being kind of timing. I would have, at a scene, I would ask for timings information around um, the time it takes for a, a smouldering ignition source, like something like a cigarette, a lit manufactured cigarette, mm. would undergo um, a transition between a smouldering fire and a flaming fire. And that takes at least 20 minutes mm. for that to happen. So if you had somebody um, who's left their left their premises five minutes before the fire has started, um, even if they were a smoker, that wouldn't really indicate that there's been a, a smoldering type fire. If you know a flaming fire is seen five minutes after they've they've left, so that short time intervals as well give a an indication of a um, of a deliberate of a deliberate act. Yeah. No, other thing, other things as well would be maybe the removal um, of the contents, like valuable content, like maybe TVs and hi-fis and some yeah. things like that, or the rearrangement of, of those objects um, yeah. away from the fire. And then the last one um, that might raise suspicions is maybe the the tampering or the removal of smoke detectors as well, if they're yeah. if they're present property. So, yeah. as I say, there's it's more of a Although that's that's a list, um, you would you know probably look at those things um, and and make an assessment on mm. whether or not you think that that that's enough evidence for you to say whether it's deliberate or not, or whether or not you're building up a a, a wider picture um, mm. of of what's going on of what's going on at the scene. Yeah, because we had uh, th the best example I can think of of the m removal of items within the house 
was a uh, a gentleman uh, drove to the police station to report that someone had set fire to his house. And so, yeah, a police officer went outside of the police station to chat to him uh, in the car park and then noticed that all his valuable goods were in his car. <laughs> his, <laughs> his television, his jewellery, you name it, everything was in the back of his car. And it's like, oh, hello, sir, uh, you just so happened to almost knew that your house was going to be <laughs> set alight to. Uh, so, yeah, you hoarded everything in the back of your car. That's a bit suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've had something similar. I um, I went down to to Bodmin in Cornwall mm. um, on a... It was my unfortunate privilege um, on a, a bank holiday. The, I think it was the, the August bank holiday I was down there. It took me seven hours just to get to oh. just to get to, um, to I guess, Exeter. I guess everyone and, was going there on a bank holiday. Yeah, they, it was. Yeah, apparently it was quite popular. Yeah, and, <laughs> um, so it took me seven hours to get there. The um, the senior scenes of crime officer was not happy because um, the the FSS was closing down at this time, and they closed their Chepstow lab, um, and I was covering uh, my weekend to cover um, for. Um, for the southwest, um, and he said, "Right, um, where are you? How long it's going to take you to get there?" And I said, "Well, um, I don't know. Um, I, I'm in London at the moment. Um, I'm actually taking my two little girls swimming, so I'm I'm, I'm in my trunks. Um, uh, <laughs> but as soon as I get out of them, I'll, I'll get on the road and make my way." And he said, oh, "Can't you can't you uh, put put me through to someone from Chepstow?" I said, "No." for the reasons I've, I've said so I got on the road as I say it took me seven hours I'm sure that there's smoke coming out. I'm sure he probably some sort of spontaneous combustion um, if he'd have got any more angry but then I got <laughs> you'd have two fires <laughs> yeah exactly but then I got blued and toed from Exeter down to Bodmin um, in the back of a in the back of a police car and that was one of the most terrifying things I think I've ever done in my entire life but I got to the scene, I think it was half eight, nine o'clock, um, and I was absolutely shattered. And the guy just went, right, we need to remove the body. I'm like, you could have at least asked me for a cup of tea yeah. or some, you know, some sort of refreshment. Um, but yeah, so I was straight into the scene, stayed over, um, and then had a, look at the, had a look at the fire the next day. And this place was absolutely totaled there was hardly anything left it was there was a huge amount of damage um sofas were you know there was barely any of the any of the the wooden framework left on on any item um within this within this lounge and how that one was sold was i was looking at a bracket on the wall and it was it was quite substantial, and I said, "Well, what was on that bracket?" Oh, um, it, was, it was a TV. And I said, "Well, I can't find any remains of the TV on the floor mm-hmm. um, at all. No, no glass, no no electrical components, no nothing, nothing like that at all." And it transpired that the TV had, had been stolen, and that. The person that did it um, had previous for, for burglary and the police thought that he must have left some forensic evidence um, as he's trying to get this 
television and other items out of the out of the front room mm. and then started the fire and i couldn't tell you how that fire started um the big indicator was the the removal of of, of the property mm. um he he um he went away for 30 years because unfortunately he um he killed the lady who was who was sleeping upstairs mm. So that was all really on where's the where's the television gone? Yeah. So you're right. Um, you know the the removal of of property and stuff is 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 an indicator. Yeah. Um, but had you not seen that, then you said the fire was so severe that it was hard to get. I guess the point of origin or whether or it had been accidental or, or deliberate. Yeah. Is that the, right? Yeah. I mean, the point of origin was as the the only. The, the nearest I could get to giving you a seat of fire was, you know, the lounge. Mm. And that was it. I, you know, it had all gone, it had all gone to flashover. So everything combustible in the room had been on fire. There'd mm. been a, a, been a, a large flaming fire within within that room that had burnt for a considerable length of time, mm. giving widespread, even damage throughout that compartment, and mm. nothing to say. That there was any extra areas of burning by the sofa or the armchair or anything else. So there was nothing mm. really to allow me to say, well, okay, this is the area um, that I want to take a closer look at and to see if we've got any evidence of, you know, an electrical appliance uh, malfunction or any, you know, nice liquid residues or anything like that. Mm. It, you know, I just had no clues other than, as I say, this, um, you know. This TV that um, that that wasn't there. That was that was the first thing, and then I think the police found more and more items that had been that had been taken, mm. um, yeah. and then good detective work on on their side of things. Um, the car um, had been stolen, and they ended up finding the property in uh, I think his his relatives' um, premises. So yeah, it was yeah it was uh, it was a, it was a good job really. Yeah. Job. And uh, you use the term flashover, which I always I always remember as being when you've got a fire in a room that turns into a room on fire. Is that yeah, right? So you've right, got yeah. yeah uh, I, I mean, I've seen videos of it, and I'm sure people can YouTube it if you just type in, I guess, flashover. But yeah, it's when you can, you can see the fire. It might be in the corner of the room, and then more and more objects start catching on fire, and then it's just all of a sudden everything in the room is just all ablaze. That's right, yeah. Yeah. My next question. Um, so there's probably going to be a lot of people that are listening to this that are going to be really interested, like like me, about what you're talking about. <laughs> so uh, how does someone become a fire scientist? I guess we know the answer to that. You've just got to have a good mate, haven't you? Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not what you know. Well, it's, not my... it's, it's who you know, and that's that. Yeah. Um... But yes. I, I think I think we we also touched upon it right at the start. There are a lack of criminal fire investigators mm. that are you know forensic scientists in in the UK. Um, how do you become someone like myself? Um, I I think it's I think it's really difficult. I, mm. I think it's really really difficult. If you wanted to be an insurance investigator then that's a completely different route if you wanted mm. to be a fire investigator from the fire service then first of all you need to 
to join the fire service. Yeah. Um, the opportunities for a forensic scientist specialising in, in fire investigation in the UK, or sorry, in England and Wales currently, are vanishingly small. Mm. Um, the large forensic providers um, don't have those those opportunities um, for or to have dedicated fire investigators. Mm. So they would always be doing a another evidence type because the police don't invite them to to the scenes. Mm. Um, because they are, the police are in the first instance reliant upon um, the the fire investigators from the fire service and and rely upon the the CSIs um, to process these scenes. And we only really get called out um, to to fatal fires, mm. which is difficult. It's difficult, especially when you're trying to train somebody up. Because when I first um, started training. Um, I used to get to go to see a, a whole variety of fire scenes. Mm. So from flammable liquid through a letterbox to a number of separate areas of burning within within the premises. You know, right up to you know dealing with something like the Tottenham riots and stuff. Mm. So you you know you you had that that variety. Whereas now a lot of your Fire scenes that, that we get invited to are, are the high-profile, you know, they're, they're they're the fatal fires or they're a huge loss, um, you know, financially, um, and they're at that that upper echelon. So you're you're training on those jobs that are incredibly important, and you know, in a lot of times, um, they're they're in the public eye. Yeah. So it, it's and it, there's just not a lot of them. So, when I before I went out on my own, I did. I had two years of just training, going out to fire scenes, and I got a hundred fire scenes under my belt before um, I went out on my own, as it were. Mm. Um, whereas now, um, the the people that have trained up recently, over over four years, they're getting like forty scenes. Yeah. Which is which is a huge difference, yeah. um, and and I'm sure, you know, that they're, you know, th- there's a question around are are they are they confident or certainly were they confident when they first went out to their job? Have they got enough jobs, mm. you know, you know, behind them to to draw that that knowledge on for this for this new scene? Because mm. every scene is completely different, um, and you just and you, you know, I'm in a fortunate position that, that I can. Draw from my experience, you know, over that that twenty years that I've been I've been doing mm. the job. Um, but I was in a, a more fortunate position after that that training for two years that I had a hundred fires that I'd seen, mm. you know, plus um, all the experiences of the of the lab work and and then looking at you know what my colleagues were doing, you know, within the fire investigation unit. So. I think the job certainly has become harder, certainly for for people who, who are just who are just starting out, and I don't envy them at all because it's fire investigation is one of the most difficult areas of forensic science. There, there is no doubt about it because fire destroys. Mm. It just you know 
if you if you start a fire off with, with flammable liquid, the fire could consume all of the all mm. of the, the residues, so you're not gonna find any. Yeah. Um, you know, it could yes, there might be electrical items that, that could be left, um, and you might be able to clear those, but you know, like that fire that I, I spoke about in Bodmin, a fire can completely destroy the patterns of burning. Mm. So that you, you're you're finding it extremely difficult to um, try and get an idea about where that fire has started, you know, even even within you know within that room. And if there's no other evidence, then you're de- you're left down to, well, I don't know. I can't I can't scientifically differentiate between you know a fire starting through a smouldering ignition source such as a, a cigarette or you know being started by a flame. Mm. Um, so there is we I mean we do certainly have a have a problem in in the UK um, when it comes to having forensic scientists specialising in, in, in fire investigation. Mm. The only way that that I think can conceivably change is for the police to to put more of a demand on the forensic providers to mm. um, to visit scenes. Mm. But I think what you get with you over, say, like a fire investigator is I think the fire investigators are very good at saying what's happened. You're very good at explaining why it's happened as well as what's happened. Because um, I remember uh, you were telling me a, a tale a, a little while ago um, where someone was talking about a blue flame and they didn't believe that a blue flame could have been caused or something was that right and then yeah that was that was right so it was um it was a a scene in in sussex actually um where a fire had started um someone i think someone was moving some furniture or something and there was some um absolute alcohol involved i think the person was using it to clean tapes or something so that probably give you an idea about how long ago it was <laughs> um, and something had happened with respect to this absolute alcohol be becoming ignited um, and it was a, a sunny day blah 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 and alcohol burns with a, a scarcely blue flame um, however and I was working for the defense at the time um, on this job and for some reason, whoever it was on the on the other side said, "No, it doesn't. It burns with a yellow flame," and we and we tested it. And I was like, "Okay." I mean, this was this had all happened kind of in in chambers outside of court, um, and then we were ordered by the judge to to go to a facility and do some testing. And when I arrived there, um, the prosecution the scientist said, "Oh, no, sorry." My mistake. It does burn with a. It does burn with a blue flame. And um, and then I, I. And so I suppose it's a. Going back to, to what I was saying earlier, it, it's just good to have that check because mistakes do get mistakes mm. do get made. Um, what I what I would say about fire scientists, fire investigators, CSI is the fact that we're all you're all a team. So you'll all bring something to the party. I almost, I told you in the past that the most important person from my side of things at a fire scene is a CSI. Mm. Whether the CSI knows a lot about 
fires and how they develop and, and how they start is really near, it's neither here nor there. What you're trying to do is you're trying to recover that evidence mm. to link that suspect to the scene. I could, I could say the many weird and wonderful ways that a fire could have started. Mm. Your SIO, and obviously we're here, we're just talking about criminal fire investigation, not the insurance side, which is, you know, it's almost a completely yeah. different job. Um, I, I could say, you know, these, these wonderful things, but the SIO will come to you and say, Chris, I've been told it's arson, who did it? Yeah. That's what they're interested in. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, you know, each individual, the fire, the fire investigator is going to, going to be having, um, you know, that input about what the fire service have done, what they've seen, um, you know, how that, how that fire's developed. And we, we all kind of come together to give this, you know, overall team view and impression about how the fire started. Mm. So I don't look at it as, you know, fire scientists versus CSI versus, you know, fi- you know, fire investigator. It's it's a collaboration. It's a joint working, yeah. and that joint working, you know, is really important. I just I. I hold the view that fires would be better investigated if that if what was termed joint working was not just fire service and CSI mm. but also involved you know a forensic scientist as well because I yeah. think we can all bring something to that to that investigation yeah the problem lies in the fact that you know as a forensic provider you have to charge for that service Mm. And that's and that's in it in a nutshell. If 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 we didn't have to charge, then I'm sure we'd get invited down more and more. Mm. But with you know budgets how they are, you know they you know they they don't unless it's you know the the more higher profile you know fatal mm. fires and you know large losses and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I think yeah, p- perhaps to offer people advice on how to get into this. Perhaps they're better off going down the insurance route, are they? Like becoming an insurance fire investigator? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, it, it depends. If, if you've got an interest in, in forensics um, like I had, then you can find yourself in a, in a number of, of different places mm. if you joined a forensic provider. Mm. Um, you know, and that if, you know, if you joined a, a large forensic provider that did a you know, multidisciplined then you know you could find yourself being asked to do fire investigation, maybe. But I would imagine that that would be, you know, very much a, you know, a, a bolt on to, to whatever mm. other role you you were doing. So I know colleagues um, who do DNA plus fire investigation, or they'll do something like marks and traces. So the more chemistry side of things, um, and and you know, and also do fire investigation as well. So. Um, there's there's that aspect. Um, if you wanted to be an insurance investigator, then there are there's quite a lot of opportunities. There's quite a lot mm. of of, um, of places that that offer that. Um, but again, there's you know, it's not something like banking or or, or anything like that. There's <laughs> there you know there's there's obviously a, a limited number of of people. Um, that, that do that do these these roles because there's there's a limited number of buyers that we that we have 
yeah. you know, in the, in the UK. Yeah, sort of grateful for that in a way. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're pretty much almost done. I think you've done really well not to mention the football up until this point. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to mention the football? Did you have a good time uh, yesterday? Uh, did you watch it? I, I, I certainly did. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had a... I was I was trying to go for at least one alcoholic beverage since the last time I saw Liverpool win the league. Um, <laughs> I, I think I got about three in, and then thought I'll oh, just times that by ten, and then that would be fine. Um, so, so you remember yes, it? <laughs> I, I do, I do. Um, it's oh, all dear. it's all very strange. Um, I'm quite glad that the the season's been finished and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I am a safe. Yeah, massively biased about that so <laughs> I don't I don't mind admitting it absolutely not yeah uh, listening it's, it's been a pleasure as always um, I'll probably catch you uh, at a fire scene soon no doubt yeah it'd be good um, thanks Chris yeah uh, and yeah. I hope I haven't overstayed my welcome and bored anyone too much and uh, yeah I'll speak to you soon all. yeah alright thanks a lot Ian and thanks Peace everyone on. for listening cheers mate bye bye This is Crime Scene Investigator Chris G signing off. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and follow my social media at CSI Chris G. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll see you at the next crime scene. And uh, I think that that Fernandez is, or Bruno, whatever his name is, has, oh, yeah. has, has really been the the catalyst, hasn't he? Yeah, so, I think they've they've missed someone that just picks up the ball and looks forward. Um, it's not look always looking out to the wings or to pass backwards. Um, and yeah, bef- you can see before he even gets the ball, he's thinking about his next pass. Um, so yeah, it's just it's been nice to have someone like that. Um, yeah, I hope he leaves in the summer. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> He's perhaps still wearing a red shirt, just not a Man United one, eh? <laughs> <laughs>